All right, we are recording. Where's my jingles? Let's play some <laughs> cards. Where's my jingles? You see, we're we working on his brow chopper. We're just in back of the crown chopper. one hello and welcome to waxing the porpoise we are here again to talk about the limey this is episode 10 now uh this film was made in 1999 um well i guess first of all too uh you got your host, Jim, G-Baby, uh, joined, as always, by the usual suspect, Steve. How are you, friend? Great, friend. Good to see you again. <laughs> Likewise, as always. How are, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, before, before I watched this movie, I wasn't sure what year it was made. And it was driving me nuts because it looks it somehow looks older than it is and like more modern than it is. Like, cause at one point the gal pulls out a cell phone. I was like, Holy shit. So this, this is during cell phone times because you could have, con- you could have convinced me it was early nineties. And then when I saw the cell phone, I was like, shit, well maybe it's like late nineties, early two thousands. And then there was a, a random clip where they showed George Clooney and he had that super dark hair. And so mm-hmm. that kind of narrowed it in like, okay, this has got to be, late 90s and then afterwards the first thing i looked up was what what fucking year did this come out and then 99 i was like oh thank god that that makes sense then yeah it's it's got a distinctive feel to it and it and it does like that late 90s early aughts is kind of an interesting reflecting on it back now it's kind of an interesting time period because it's it's we have had internet at that point for five or eight years at least to the masses and but cell phones haven't quite blown up so people are probably still using pagers and like like nokia cell phones that have snake on them and shit still so it hasn't really broken into it's probably another five or eight years before we have like the first smartphone so it's it's riding this kind of weird edge of technology but i i like that kind of vibe of it like it it could it does feel like it could have been 1992 for all we know or it could be yeah it's always annoying when when movies try to be super super modern Mm -hmm. and you can and i mean it never ages well it's like if you made one today and you reference some hit band that in five years like who who are they talking about it you know it's like the it, new... it's timeless, if you will. <laughs> Makes me think of like the new radicals. Ah, yes. <laughs> Circa 96, 97, 98. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, I like it. It feels it, this is like a very analog kind of film sprinkled with kind of some modern, modern uh, stuff into it but you know another it's funny you brought that up that 
have you ever you've seen a time to kill right with uh, McConaughey and uh, Samuel L? No. <laughs> oh God, I should have <laughs> known, but fuck, man, you've never seen a time to no. kill. God damn no. it! So that movie was made in '96, and it was it's set in the same year like that it was made, and I swear the first time I watched that all the way up until maybe the halfway point of the movie, maybe even two-thirds of the way through that movie, I thought it was, like, uh, segregation era, like, late 60s, like, early 70s. And then you mm-hmm. you see, like, you know, someone's, I think it's Sandra Bullock, she's, like, jogging, and it says, like, property of Reebok. And it's, like, I was, like, oh, shit. And I, I remember I had to turn to, like, my stepdad, and I was, like, wait, is this supposed to be, like, modern, like, set in the modern day when it was filmed? And he's like, yeah. I was like, what? Like, because it deals with like, it's in like deep south, and it's dealing with like race relations. Like, like I thought it was like Mississippi burning. Like, it took took place in like 1964. It's wild. That's god damn. I can't believe huh. you haven't seen. Yeah, it. I haven't. I haven't seen Mississippi burning either. But I guess <sighs> we are lost. I, I also would have assumed because yeah, it kind of has that that vibe of old school sweaty courtroom seersucker mm-hmm. in the south like <laughs> lord yeah my lord it's yes it's it's crazy like yeah it's it's like a it's like you're stepping into like a time capsule kind of movie and then yeah when it comes in later on it's like oh yeah it's supposed to be 96 it's like no way but uh, the only thing I know about that movie is uh, I think at the end there's like a what if what but but what if what if it was a white girl or some something that's supposed to be like a big dude a big a big punch yeah that is a big punch too when you watch it it's like yeah McConaughey's like closing argument in that so good yeah if you're a fan of like courtroom stuff and like revenge and like race relations and like the deep south I mean, i've always heard it's a good movie it's so good it's it's excellent same it's top tier mcconaughey samuel for sure i highly recommend you watch it i don't know if i would ever well maybe at this point you know it's kind of i guess you could consider it a deep cut because it's not talked about very much but it's it's super good and same with uh, Mississippi Burning. That's uh, Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe, uh, an early role for earlier role for Willem Dafoe. That's a really good one. That one's actually is set in like the '60s, uh, the civil rights movement, right in the thick of it, like SNCC workers and like you know uh, burning crosses in the front yard and like you know the the whole the yeah. whole nine yards. Both of those flicks are fucking excellent. Um, so, so this movie, The Limey, I put in the category of movies that if I told you I hadn't seen it, you'd be like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, that's not super surprising. You should check it out. Yeah. A Time to Kill is one of those fun movies that I can't wait to tell you I haven't seen it because I know you're just going to be <laughs> beside yourself yeah. indignant and yeah. you did not disappoint. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I c- I could totally, yeah, the limey, like, I knew for sure you hadn't seen it, but, yeah, like, just in the course of this conversation, like, I took it for granted, like, oh, yeah, everyone's seen A Time to Kill. Come on. Um, everyone's seen The Fifth Element. Fifth Element's a banger. I 
I feel like that is one most people should see or should have I seen have. by this point. God damn you. Um, so, yeah, this, so this is a first-time watch for Steve. I've seen this movie, fuck, probably 20 times. This is probably in that era when I was working at Blockbuster, and I just happened to see it, and I had noticed that it was directed by uh, Steven Soderbergh, who, he's he's pretty big uh, director. I, I don't know if you'd call him an out, auteur um, director. What? But... Uh, so it's like what does that mean so it's like someone who is like well known and crafts like like thought-provoking thoughtful meticulous films i guess this is my this is my interpretation of the word outdoor i'm probably not using it correctly um (laughs) okay so you probably know you know traffic have you ever heard of the movie traffic with uh benicio del toro yeah i think i have i think i've seen it Catherine Zeta Jones. Yeah, yeah. She, she dips, dips beneath, beneath the laser. Yeah, she <laughs> <laughs> she's in it. Michael Douglas, Don Cheadle. Um, yeah, I'm that, pretty sure I saw it around the time it came out. But yeah, that I, that's I probably memory of that's probably his biggest claim to fame. Um, just like well, in, the name in sounded general. familiar, but I I couldn't think of anything else. He's worked. I didn't. Click to see what else he had done. He's worked a lot with George Clooney. Um, their pals. Uh, he he made his breakout with Sex Lies and Videotape, uh, which is uh, a really good flick. That's kind of what that was his breakout. Um, and then what else has he done? He's he's done a lot of really good shit. So Sex Lies and Videotape in '89. That was his breakout. Did he do? Uh, did he do the West Wing, or what am I thinking of? You're thinking of uh, Aaron Sorkin. Oh, whatever. Yeah, I, I'm not a West Wing guy, which is probably sacrilege to some people, but it's like, yeah, get whatever. Fucked. Fuck off. Listen to something else. Yeah, his <laughs> his next thing he did he had a kind of a slew in like the early 2000s. So he did. Um, Actually, I'm I'm probably misspeaking with traffic. His probably most mainstream, well-known. He did the first Ocean's Eleven in 2001. Okay. So, but yeah, so he did Sex Lies and Videotape '89, and then he kind of did some like funky pictures that I've never seen, and I'm looking through his filmography that I'm not familiar with, even in like the film Zeitgeist. But uh, so he did. The next biggest film he did was, have you ever seen Out of Sight with George Clooney and J-Lo? No. Is that the one where somebody's blind? No. Or, wait, no. I'm thinking of, what's that shitty, it's a shitty Val Kilmer movie around that same time where somebody's, where he's blind or. Yeah. You're thinking of, fuck. Is it called At First Sight? Maybe. Without looking it up. That sounds it's it sounds right, but yeah, it's like Val Kilmer and like uh, Mira Sorvino, I think. Um, yeah, I've, I've never seen that. I just remember the trailer, but uh, no, out so, of sight. No, of, I have not seen that. Okay, that's another. That's a good. That's a one you should watch one day when you get a chance. It's really good. It's kind of it's it's got a like a pulp pulp fiction vibe, minus the. Uh, characteristic like Tarantino flair that that marks all of his films. Um, it's kind of, it's that kind of story, 
Um, or it feels like that to me. Steve Zahn's in it too. I know. I think you're a Zahn fan. I'm a big Steve Zahn fan. Oh yeah, absolutely. He, he's good in it. Ving Rhames. Um, yeah, Out of Sight's really good. Actually, I had in my notes. The the limey feels similar to Out of Sight in some ways. Huh. Uh, I think that's probably more of the like Soderbergh's uh, directorial style. That's like his stamp on it, which felt uh, similar. The Limey is very much its own thing, as we'll we'll discuss. But um, but then yeah, he did the Limey right out of out of sight. Then he did Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, Ocean's Eleven. Um, so that kind of that was like he was riding the rocket ship right there, you know. He actually also did another movie with George Clooney in 2002 that I would like to cover on this cast. Uh, it was a remake. I think it's the original was Andre Andre. Tarkovsky, uh, I'm probably butchering, butchering his last name, but it was kind of controversial because it's that film. Solaris was is directing like the 70s, was like a well-known. It's like it, it it stands alone too by itself as a really good picture. Um, but he made a remake of it, and I actually probably sacrilege again. I actually like his remake better than the original. Um, but yeah, Solaris is badass. And then he kind of he did Ocean's Twelve and Solaris. He did Ocean Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Thirteen, which seems weird for a director like this to like go back and it seemingly like like a cash grab situation, going for like a mainstream film. It seems like it it clashes with his sensibilities and like the the other things that he've met he's made. It almost seems like a the dude who made pie Darren Aronofsky. It's like if he all of a sudden made like a fucking Marvel movie and then went back Mm. to making like pie and like uh, the fountain and shit like that. And then bounced back and made like a Marvel sequel. Maybe not quite to that extent, but kind of like that. It just seems weird for that kind of director to, to step out and be like, yeah, I'll do oceans 12 and oceans 13. Like, he later on, he did yeah. that. I mean, did, the, the analogy makes sense to me. I, so I get what you're saying. Um, but yeah, anyway, so yeah, he's he's a very, a really good director. Um, and I, I like his style. I like the way he moves. Uh, and I think probably out of his whole catalog, I would say probably the top three are for me are like the Limey, Out of Sight, and Solaris are are all up there. So I, I'm really excited to talk about the Limey actually, because as much as um, he's got his stamp on this film, it feels very like uh, without getting too pretentious, it feels very singular. Like it's, it's got his stamp on it, but it, it's a very unique film. And uh, I, I think it's one of his, his best pieces of work. So um so without further ado, I think too like in the in the past we haven't really gone through like a synopsis, as it were. But I guess uh, for some context, because this this movie is really weird the way it's shot, and the way it moves. Maybe until you get to the midpoint, maybe the latter half, like the way it's edited and cut. Um, but so, real quick synopsis. Uh, basically, it's about a dude who's pretty older in age. So he probably had his daughter when he was older, probably like late thirties or something, because he looks like he's like 60, 
maybe even early 70s, would you say? Yeah, he looks like a modern-day 75, but a late 90s 63. Right. Yeah. So, like, yeah, if, if his let's presume his daughter's 30, you know, at her at 33. Okay. So it's about him... He, it looks like he's been in and out of prison. He, he even mentions, like, I've been in prison half my life, if not more. So he's like a career criminal, like uh, a thief. Uh, he's done a bunch of robberies, nicks. Uh, so he, he, it, it sounds like he was just, he just pulled a nickel in, like, Liverpool or somewhere. And uh, while he's in the joint, his daughter, who lives in the States, in L.A., uh, dies mysteriously. Or it's, it's claimed it's, it was a car accident. So he finds out uh, through the grapevine. And as soon as he gets out of the joint in the U.K., he flies out because he thinks something's fishy about it. And so from there, it's, it's kind of – it's pretty much a straight well, – he, he, gets, he gets contacted – by Louis Guzman's character, right? And it, from what I re- remember, it was it was sort of like a hey, there's more to the story than this car accident. Because when when I was thinking back on the movie, I was like, well, what the what made him think it was so suspicious? Like it was just a car accident. And then I was like, oh yeah, because he had that letter. And I, I don't remember if they went into everything yeah. that was in it or if it was just like a hey, I knew your daughter. Uh, you might want to hear some of this information I have, but yeah, good. Continue. Yeah. And well, actually to that point, um, point of order, uh, I just watched the first half of this, uh, to refresh and there's actually a really poignant, uh, part in the, in the movie where she, the gal that she's, he's palling around with, uh, in the States he's talking about how he found out and she mentions, so when did Eddie tell you, or is that how you knew or something like that? Uh, Louis Guzman's character. And he's like, no, he's like, I knew before Ed. And he describes like, it kind of gets into like the supernatural and like the, the voodoo kind of stuff where he's like, he's like, Oh no, I knew before Ed. And he's like, I, I was doing something and I felt he, he was trying to, uh, read a book and he's thumbing through the pages and he's like, I thought I was having a heart attack because like the pages were stuck together like glue. I couldn't even, I couldn't flip through the pages and he's like all the blood like rushed out of my head and people are like, you know, you look like a ghost. Like you, you turn pure white. And he's like, at that moment I knew it must be my daughter, Jenny, like something must've happened. So that kind of gets into that kind of woo woo territory. But, um, that's the only hint well, of that. I, I took this. that as him knowing that she died, but not necessarily under suspicious circumstances. And, and that's what I assumed the letter from Ed was, was like, Hey, this isn't, this isn't quite exactly what it seemed like, but fair. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, maybe it's kind of hinting into like, uh, like a father's or a, or a parent's intuition that something happened. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not nefarious or otherwise, but he, he just got like mm-hmm. a feeling. And then, yeah, when he gets, so like his daughter, Jenny is, has palled around with uh, Louis Guzman's character, Eduardo. He actually does. You're correct. He sends him a letter saying like, 
I don't think it ever goes into what's in the letter, but yeah, it makes I don't it think seem it does like either. it makes it seem like you know he's trying to I tell have him some information or something. Yeah, like because as we'll get into it, like he, he knows that obviously you know this older dude who's super rich, Peter Fonda's character. There's something he's got something around the eyes, you know, like there's something fishy about him and her, and her death. Um, because as you see, it's kind of a trend for Peter Fonda to shack up with these young 20 late twenties, uh, chicks. And he's like 60, 70. Um, but anyway, and I don't know anything. I don't know anything about that dude as an actor, but he was like the perfect cast for that type of just kind of slimy. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, older, creepy dude who just kind of takes advantage of young gals, and yeah, so yep. he he definitely played the part. Yeah, yeah, he was perfect. And there's a couple points too that, like in the film, where he does a a great job at emphasizing that that creeper status. Um, dude, just the part where he's like cleaning his teeth in the mirror, it just you know, <laughs> gives you the shivers. Like, yeah. I was just watching it like gross god i cannot imagine being this like young attractive gal and looking at this guy who's like yeah doing that disgusting sound like sorry yeah no yeah and he looks in the mirror and he does that weird thing where he like bears he grits and bears his teeth and he's just like (laughs) all right i'm i'm ready you know like yeah what yeah that definitely gives you the heebie-jeebies you know like this guy is just such a fucking slime ball um yeah yeah, so just to wrap up what this damn thing's about, um, yeah, so he he gets tipped off, something's going on, so he he hops on to a plane, comes across the pond, uh, and is like full investigate like revenge mode pretty much. He links up with uh, Eduardo, played by uh, Louis Guzman, who does not disappoint. Um, it's kind of a subtle role for him. Uh, but I, I really like him as like his right hand man, but so yeah, it's basically, he, he goes on a, a one man wrecking crew, a two man hit wrecking crew with Louis Guzman. And it's a revenge film, him trying to find out what's going on with his daughter. And like, he guessed, right. There is something, some fuckery afoot. It wasn't that she just, you know, died in a, a random car wreck. You know, there were, there's some some shit going on and he tries to get to the bottom of it. And, um, it just, it goes through the kind of like this weird kind of seedy, uh, underbelly of, of LA and, uh, like politics of, you know, a former, uh, like record executive is kind of what I gathered from what Peter, Peter Fonda's role was, but, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. He's just, he's out for blood. He knows, or he's at least got a really, uh, he's got an intuition in him that something happened to his daughter and it wasn't right. And he's going to get to the bottom of it and fucking punish whoever uh, was responsible. So that's, that's it. And um, so I guess the, the real quickly to the cast of characters, it's pretty, pretty eclectic mix of, of actors, but the, the lead is played by Terrence stamp, uh, as Wilson, who I've talked to other people about, and they're real familiar with him, probably like 
people of an of an older age because he's an older actor um but i thought he was excellent he was great in it um then you have louis guzman playing his kind of like uh man on the inside that's kind of helping him uh navigate la as like fish out of water kind of thing and uh then you have this other gal that also knew his daughter that she's kind of serves the same capacity. Um, and then you have Peter Fonda, who is the main antagonist to Terrence Stamps Wilson, who was dating uh, his daughter, Jenny. Um, and then, then there's a, a few other side characters, probably my favorite one. And I think, if I know you right, I think you, you'll agree. Um, I really liked uh, Nikki Cat, who was... He's been in an episode of Friends, but people probably know him the most from... Boiler Room. Boiler Room, or I was going to say... That's what I recognize him from. Okay. That's crazy. I'm, I'm glad you... It's good to know that you've seen Boiler Room. That's a good flick. Um, I love that movie. Yeah, that's a great movie. Um, just real quick tangent. Uh, I can't remember how it came up the other day, but I was just talking about Boiler Room. And that was like literally one of the first handful of DVDs I ever owned for a long time. So I, I've seen it so many times. Yeah. But somebody was telling me that there's a, a special feature on the DVD which shows an alternate ending. Are you familiar with this? No. Dude. Okay. So just real quick. We don't have to go too far down this rabbit hole. Uh, it's a movie about like some shitty investment, whatever stock, blah blah blah. The dude, the the family man that Giovanni Ribisi's like screwing over, you know, right. like taking all of his money. The alternate ending is him showing up to the office with a gun, and like Giovanni Ribisi's walking out for the last time, and they like pass each other in the hall and he, he doesn't know it's him. So he's there to like kill him. But yeah, I, I've, I haven't seen it cause I don't, I don't know where the DVD is and I couldn't find it anywhere online, but yeah, it sounds like that was the alternate ending. Like instead of that guy getting his money back as one of his like last calls, you know, like, <laughs> Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to have them approve you selling whatever. It's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah. So the alternate ending was him showing up and just mowing everybody down in the office, which damn, yeah, which I could I could see, and they they were certainly building up to it. Uh, yeah, just showing. The, anyway, so yeah, that guy, that the the two pool hall assassin guys were. That's where it sort of got a little bit less than ideal for me, I guess. Like, really, I I yeah. So I really liked this movie at the beginning. I. It, it waned a little bit towards the three-quarter mark. By the time it ended, I enjoyed it. I was trying to equate it to, like, in my mind, it was sort of like like, like a Chili's or something where it's, like, not great. It's not exactly what you're <laughs> expecting, but it, it's good. You know, it's fine. It's good enough. Like, it is what it is. You're not going there expecting fine dining or whatever, but... I think it's because I, I enjoyed it so much towards the beginning, story-wise, and kind of the the creative presentation of it. I liked some of the little foreshadowing things they did and 
some of the flashbacks, like flash forwards. And I really like that part of it. Mm-hmm. Then, then when the, the DEA subplot came into it, yeah, I felt like, I felt like this is the definition of we need to fill some time. So we'll just put in this little subplot. I, I didn't think it was really necessary to push a storyline storyline along. And it was actually a little bit confusing. Like, okay, is he, is he working for the DEA or are they just following him because they see him interacting with the same characters? It wasn't really clear. And honestly, I didn't care enough about that portion of the plot to even like pause and think about it for a second. I was like, okay, let's just, let's just get on to the next thing because there was, there were so many cool parts that that felt like it didn't belong. I mean, the part where, so when he first gets to town, he meets Ed and Ed says, Oh, you know, this is the guy she was dating. And, you know, a week or so before she died, she went down to this, uh, sketchy warehouse and was yelling at these dudes so he's like okay well i'm gonna go down there and look into it confronts them they kick the shit out of him he goes and kills them all awesome love it yeah, i love that he left one one guy alive to yep. uh to, to send the message that's like biblical shit yeah you and, tell him you know that was like <laughs> yeah that was like a table setter like okay you know i'm in i'm in at this point and then yeah you know when he's at the 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 guy's party and he's he has those like fantasies about him going in and shooting him multiple times yeah just awesome blowing his brains out yeah so sweet but the dea thing i thought was like ah i just i didn't really care for it but in the assassins i don't know i'm fine that they you know uh that they sent assassins after him to try to kill him but i just didn't really like those two guys they just kind of I don't know. I think they, they kind of took me out of it a little bit, but really, I'm, I I'm surprised. I don't know if I was just, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's that fucking guy from boiler room. I just don't like him. Really? Yeah. I, I like him because I like to hate him. Like I like to not like him. He's because, very hateable. Yeah. And I, the other film I was going to say before we got off on the, the boiler room tangent is I think most or a lot of people will recognize him more so from Dazed and Confused. Have you seen Dazed and Confused? Oh boy. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I always confuse that one with Fast Times and God. I really don't think I've seen either one the way through. You know, it's probably sacrilege to some people, but I think Fast Times is pretty overrated. Um, I've got the sacrilege counter up to three for this episode. We're at three. Already. Yeah, we're at three. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that in my head. I was like, what's another word? Um, uh, yeah, I, I I, think Dazed and Confused is a must-watch. must, must watch. Um, At this point, it's probably trite, but uh, I, I got nostalgia and sentimental vibes uh for that flick so i highly recommend it but yeah that guy that assassin in this flick the limey uh he plays a total asshole in uh dazed and confused like alpha male kind of like uh jock like a bully yeah total bully yeah piece that's of kinda shit. how he was like in friends also i forgot about yep. that until you mentioned it but that was the yep. same dude he they, steal, they steal his hat yeah he 
he's got that character down. Um, yeah. yeah, I really, I liked his character a lot as the, uh, assassin him and that, that other guy, he just seems like the village idiot. Like it, you can't tell if he speaks English or not. And he's just like, his like, <laughs> I don't know. He, he's a weird character in, in and of himself too, but, uh, like the mechanic, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I like some of the, the, it, it was, a little bit of levity, I guess, to this film. Cause it's, it's got kind of a serious, like, uh, I don't know. It's got a weird vibe and there's not a lot of like comedic, uh, breaks, but the few that are there are from Nikki cat's character as one of the assassins that do with the long hair. Uh, mm-hmm. like when he, like when he goes in there playing pool and he's like, uh, he's like, we got next or something. Yeah. These are your quarters. He's like, and he fucking just throws them, dude. I love, I love that part. That part makes cracks me up every time. Um, he's like, he wants to break. Look how excited he is. Just let him break. Or like when they're having coffee and they're like, they're kind of like staking out, and just like his one-liners, like watching people. He's like, oh yeah, that's really important. They need that. Um, yeah, I liked him a lot. I'm surprised. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that part was funny. But. Uh, yeah, the other the DEA stuff, I agree. Uh, it took me. I've seen this, you know, probably a lot more times than you. But it did. It took like maybe the second or third time of that kind of like standing back and watching it from afar, and seeing how like you know the DEA subplot works in, and it's like, oh okay, because yeah, the first time I'm like, what is this shit? It's coming out of fucking left field with these DEA guys all of a sudden targeting and brazing. Wilson, who has no dog in this fight other than, like, he's just inserted himself into this greater plot, and it's like, why is he such a key target all of a sudden? But what, um, But they made it seem like he's working for the DEA, right? And they're the ones who, like, got him into the country. It's like, okay, why? Yeah, that, that part falls flat. That's probably some rushed or just, like, you know, lazy screenwriting or lazy storytelling just to kind of cobble it together and like make it make it go sort of ex- just sort of explain how he was able to get into the country under an assumed name or something yeah something like that it's probably one of those things the more you try to examine it and look at it the more it falls apart um but I, they, they were burning the bundles of heroin or whatever it was like i don't think that's how you're supposed to get rid of it because no it just looked weird yeah, I that head DA guy, I do like him though. That's uh Bill Duke. Uh he's probably well, most well known for his character, I can't remember his Which name guy? in uh Predator. The head, the main uh DEA dude, bald dude. He's like, you know you fucked up, right? Like when he's that interrogation scene. The The head let's see. The head DEA guy, like Oh, the, the main... one that he like gives his badge to? Yeah. Is he bald? <laughs> yes. What what does Marcel Suarez look like? <laughs> then why did you try to fuck him like a bitch, Brett? Um, <laughs> yeah, he's awesome in Predator. You've seen Predator, haven't you? No. God, dude, that movie's right up your fucking alley. You need to watch Predator. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a banger. Um, yeah, he that he, has Arnold and uh, uh, Jesse Ventura. Who's the other guy I'm thinking of? 
not fuck. not Chubbs. Is it just Chubbs in it? It is Chubbs. Yeah, Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. He's in it. Uh, I can't remember who the other the side characters are. Shane Black is one of them. Who is? It's a weird. It's a rare uh, acting role for him. He's probably better known as the screenwriter of uh, Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon Two, and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Okay. Yeah, he's one of those weird guys that's like mainly a screenwriter and director, and then he's got a couple acting roles sprinkled in, kind of not comparing him to Quentin Tarantino, but similar to like where Tarantino also has a couple acting roles, like probably mainly most well known for is uh, uh, From Dust Till Dawn. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's one of those weird. I, I really people. liked the first half of that movie. Dust till dawn. The first third, yeah, yeah. Before that, it gets all weird. Yeah, that's one of those films where it's like it's a completely different movie. About that halfway, the you know latter third mark, and it it's like oh, this is like a crazy vampire balls to the wall horror movie. When before, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel like that. But um, yeah, Predator, fuck excellent movie i i actually saw a predator late in the game and uh it's it's everything it's cracked up to be it's it's awesome um so yeah where'd we leave off limey um yeah so one thing i thought was interesting and it's one of the the cutesy little things i don't know if you want to fast forward to to what actually happened to the daughter mm -hmm. yet um yeah whatever so he yeah so um what's his name peter fonda wilson is tra tracking down peter fonda who's valentine or valentine terry valentine and they yeah so they track him up because he fled out of town mm -hmm. and uh ends up killing all his boys pretty sweet yeah. and ends up confronting him and asking what really happens and and what re what really happened was she was going to drop the dime on him and he accidentally broke her neck. But earlier in the movie, they were talking about how when she was a little girl, she would threaten to call the cops on her dad. Like, wow. Yep. Yeah. She really shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't. Huh? Like even as a little kid and then as an adult, like, yeah, wow. Um, you really shouldn't ever snitch. So that's the message I'm taking away from it. That's what you pulled out of all this. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. Hmm, guess she never grew out of that. Wow. Well, that's a, a decidedly uh, <laughs> negative way to look at it, I guess, or pessimistic look at it. Um, I think of it as optimistic. Yeah. Well, on the other flip side of that coin, if her dad would have listened to her and wouldn't have been fucking around, he would have still been around and she wouldn't have died and she would have had a dad in her life. So. You can take it that way too, and the same thing with uh, Terry Valentine. If he wouldn't, have, if he would have been like, "All right, yeah, I'm gonna clean up. I'm not gonna get involved with this." He said it was. He said it was too late, though. Yeah. Whatever deal she was trying to get him to call off, he's like, "I already did it, so I'm gonna yeah. kill you now." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we fixed the glitch. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. The DAA part is kind of. 
I I mean I think they had to fit that in somewhere though for like an, an additional source of heat and to like maybe legitimize the fact that like yeah he was involved in something which is ties into like his motive and pointing out like yeah he is a piece of shit and he's willing to you know just kill someone he calls it an accident I accidentally broke her neck like no you had the fear on you and you had, you know, you felt the walls coming in and like, you felt like you had to do that to, you know, cause you're a narcissist and you wanted to get away with it and keep on being the way that you've always been. Um, but it, it does kind of I feel think, a little shoehorned a little bit. I think they finished this badass movie and they're like, well, we have an hour and 13 minutes so let's just pepper in because this movie barely, barely gets to like an hour 25, right? Yeah, it's pretty brisk. It's pretty short. So they, they probably just got to the end and thought, we need 12 minutes of just nothingness to fill in here somewhere. So let's get the guy from Predator and we'll just make up a little sub story to explain how to evade the assassins how he was able to get into the country and just throw an extra little bit of storyline in there but who knows yeah and i guess uh speaking to like you know the quick runtime and like how it was filmed uh so i guess i i read part of a rolling stone article it was like a 20 it was from 2019 it was a 20 year uh, anniversary retrospective where Soderbergh came and, and uh, sat down and talked to about this movie and I guess um, the first cut of the film they shot it and they edited it completely like a linear uh, film so it was like point A to point B it didn't have all the choppy you know the, the flash forwards uh, uh, flashbacks kind of side side present things that are happening happening simultaneously that they're that they're they're all melding together it was completely linear and i guess at the end uh the director soderbergh was looking at his editor and was like fuck this doesn't work as a linear film um which is interesting to think about how different this film would be if if it was shot that way and actually released mm-hmm. that way so i guess at the very end of everything editing you know mastering the film whatever he basically started from scratch and completely re-edited the film which added on i don't know another two three four months of editing because one of the things i think i like the most and you touched on this too is the all those flashbacks flash forwards it's it's pretty unique i can't really i mean there's some traces of it actually in uh the prestige the first film check back episode one in the archives um, that we covered the the flashbacks and the flash forwards and how that like mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan does it. Did you get that, that similar vibe, you know, like the way that they edited? Uh, I didn't think about it at the time, but now that you mentioned it, I could see, I could see the similarity in this film. They do it. It's way more, like on rails, like it's quicker. It's the, the way the editing style is, is way faster. 
then in the prestige the way that they're like it's almost like they're sandwiched together because and one thing i was thinking about too is that's another thing if you examine it a little bit too closer too closely i think it loses its luster because i was thinking about it like there's multiple conversations where wilson is having with this this other gal who basically serves as like exposition and uh like a kind of like a a character that's leading him around like it's it's his uh it's his tour guide through la and trying to figure out what's going what happened with his daughter and retracing her steps and getting up to mm-hmm. the climbing the ladder to figure out you know it's terry valentine peter fonda's character he's having multiple conversations with her that seem seamless but they're flashing back and he's talking about something and it's all happening like in real time. This is really hard to describe in just like an audio uh, medium, but like, it's like, imagine like a conversation you and I are having right now, but part of what I just said was like fucking eight hours ago. And then part of what I'm about to say next happened a day later and then there's shit we're talking about right now and it's like edited all in line like we're having one conversation do you you see what i'm trying to get at i get what you're saying yes so part of that like i think like when you're watching it and you're just taking it in as like an experience and listening it's like oh yeah it makes sense he's talking about this and this and it's seamless but in reality if you broke it apart i i guess they could have talked about this thing the day previous and then they're talking about this other thing the day later and it could still tie into what they're working on or what they're talking about but it would seem really disjointed like they just start talking about one thing like oh yeah she was here and she was doing this but then why would you why would you come back to that a day later wouldn't you finish your thought you know that you're talking about right then. I don't know. I'm probably not describing it well. Audio listeners are probably like, what the fuck is he talking about? But I think, I think mushrooms are just and one thing <laughs> that I'm embar- that I'm embarrassed to admit was how long into the movie it took me to finally decide that Valentine's girlfriend was not his daughter. I kept thinking, like, is it possible that the daughter's still alive? And because they they kind of looked similar to me. Yeah. And and I, so I don't know, maybe half the movie I was like, maybe this is the daughter, which I think is just a stupid a stupid thing to think, but Yeah, they don't they don't go out of their way to make that clear. I think the biggest thing for me obviously is having seen it more times than you, but also it's it jumped out to me pretty early that it wasn't her because Wilson's daughter who was murdered, she has blonde hair or like maybe dirty blonde and the new gal uh, just that fills her space um, that Valentine shacked up with. I'm pretty sure she has like really dark brown or black hair. So that that part kind of cleared that up for me real quick. Good for you. Well, good for happy Gilmore. My God. Pick up the big brain on Brad. Um, just to interject to uh, maybe a downshift. I found this quote researching this film a little bit that I, I feel is pretty uh, 
dead nuts to how I feel about it is so this author, uh, William Gibson, who is famous for like Neuromancer, he's like people have called him like the father of like cyberpunk. Um, like the I don't know what most of those words mean. Like, so you think and about, you don't, you don't need to explain it. You don't even need to explain it. Well, just real <laughs> quick. So you think about Blade Runner, that's like cyberpunk. Yeah. Okay. So that's your, okay. that's your foundation. So, so it means, it means shitty movie. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Rain drenched LA dystopian. Oh, God. Uh, gotcha. technology so that type of like style or whatever. Yeah. So okay. he, so his quote about this film was, uh, I loved the limey. It's so violent exclamation point. Um, hell and yet, yeah. And yet it's so exquisitely romanticized in a sort of Japanese way. It's a samurai film coming out of that. I was really deeply conflicted because a friend who had seen it said, it's beautiful, but it's not about anything. It's one micron thick. I was like, huh? Yeah. Cause I mean, it is, it is violent as shit, but it doesn't really like zoom in on that. And it is kind of romanticized like a samurai film. Like it does feel like this dude's kind of like a stoic, like he's got nothing to lose. He's old. He's been in and out of prison his whole life. It's like his last thing that he can do to like bring some good to his life is like, I don't know, honoring his daughter's legacy, maybe making up for all the time that he lost with her by making things right by fulfilling mm -hmm. this revenge porn of killing the dude that took her out. Um, yeah. Finally being a good dad for once in his life. Yeah. And then, but yeah, it is, it, it said it's beautiful, it but it's not simple. about anything. It, it, yeah, it is. It's, yeah. it's super, you know, it gets right down to brass tacks. And I think that goes back to, you know, the more, if you really examine it, uh, too close it does lose its luster and it is i mean it's it's a pretty simplistic uh plot for the most part yeah, it's it's ihop it's very simple yeah <laughs> that makes me think i love uh, jim gaffigan's thing about ihop he's like they shouldn't call it ihop when i get done out of there it's like i don't they should call it i don't want to get up um i don't want to hop um yeah, but I, I found that quote and I was like, oh, that's pretty much how I feel about it too. But I don't know. I I just, I I think when I saw this in the, probably the early 2000s, I think I probably saw this first time in 2001. So a couple of years after it released, um, it wasn't on my radar at all. I just saw it. And I think I noticed that it was directed by Steven Soderbergh. And I had seen Sex, Lies, and Videotape. And I liked his style. And I just checked it out and I was like, whoa, I hadn't seen anything like that before. And I was like 18, 17 at the time when I saw this and it just kind of stuck with me. So a um, couple of notes I, I wrote down and maybe in hindsight, uh, I don't know how on this is, but stream of consciousness when I was watching this I wrote it's shot kind of like a Wes Anderson movie lots of scenes that aren't shot like as a fixed point um, there's the quote-unquote present being portrayed while being interspersed with shots and scenes inaudibly at times uh, from the past moments directly preceding or that follow the current 
quote-unquote present scene. I like how they interspersed some of the stuff where it's like a flashback with zero context, and and it's inaudible, like there's no one speaking, but you can kind of pick up on what's happening. So like to the point you talked about, you know, like the daughter always threatening to call the cops or whatever. Before he, Wilson explains that 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 happened, you can you can pick up on that because it's like a scene of the little girl, her is a uh, the daughter is a little girl picking up the phone and she's like crying and she's like yelling. And the dad is like, you know, it's all inaudible. And he's like waving his hands, like saying like, no, 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 don't call him. Like you can pick up like through osmosis, like what's happening. Um, I like those little scenes that they, that they kind of sprinkled in. And I guess jumping off to a, a piece of trivia that I thought was pretty interesting. I was like, because they, they sprinkle in um, these flashbacks of Wilson, Terrence Stamp's character, when he's a fucking young buck. And at the time, oh. it's like 1999. It's like there's no way they could have done at this time, like, and with the budget, this kind of the, the kind of movie this is, there's no way they did like CGI effects or like de-aging or anything crazy. I was like, I was like, was this like deleted scenes from an old movie or something that they got the rights to and then they interspersed and that's pretty much what it was so the all the flashback footage of terrence stamp is like a 25 year old 30 year old man are from um the 1967 film poor cow uh which is ken loach's directorial debut uh that features flashbacks of Wilson, Terrence Stamp, with his baby daughter and wife. So I thought that was pretty interesting that they actually went out of their way to like find something that would line up in the story with his age. And they were able to buy the rights from another movie and intersperse a completely different well, movie into this film. That was the that was the first thing I looked up when I was done because I thought that was a really cool thing that they did. Mm-hmm. And there was a, there was still a small part of me was like maybe they were able to do that with just hair dye and some makeup because when they showed him as an old man when it would kind of flash back and forth I was I was trying to picture could they make this guy look younger and the thing that gave it away most for me was like just the kind of older skin around his neck mm-hmm. so then when they flash back to the old scene he's wearing like a turtleneck I was like oh shit maybe. <laughs> Maybe this is just like really good makeup and costume and hair or, or whatever. So then when it was over, I looked it up and it's like, oh no, it's from this old movie, whatever. But the thing I saw said that whoever made that original movie, the director went to and was like, hey, do you mind if I use some scenes from that movie as uh, for footage in this movie? And they said no. And he's like, fine then I'll never work with you ever again. And there, then whoever, whoever was a part of the original movie was like, okay, fine. You can use the footage. So I thought that was really interesting too. Damn. Yeah. Just fucking put nuts on the table and strong armed him. Yeah. Right on. At least that's what I read. I, I didn't uh, call anybody or. You didn't verify this through a third party. Just one, just one source. Okay. Yeah, I liked that a lot. That's that's pretty cool. I think that adds to the the. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. No, I was I, I was thinking there's something similar, but nothing quite like this. I know one thing um, 
So you know Fight Club. Yeah, you've seen Fight Club. There's yeah. there's a part where um, at the very end, you know, when Edward Norton tries to kill himself and shoots himself in the mouth. Yeah. At the very end, and like there's like smoke or there's like something coming out of his mouth mm-hmm. from from the gunshot. I guess that is or no 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 not that it's um the the when he's having those weird fucking like psychic driving like uh dreams and there's the fucking uh penguin and it's all slide like when they're talking about find your power animal uh-huh. and he's uh-huh. in that like cold like antarctic thing and he's the cave, his, the cave his thing yeah his breath it's like you can see it's like super cold they recycled that from like cold breath from um titanic the very end of the film when everyone's in the water and freezing they fucking they recycled those visual effects and put them into fight club and then there's another in blade runner that we talked about that the the original theatrical cut at the very end they recycled some footage from some other goddamn film where they're driving around like the happy ending they're driving through the countryside they took that completely from a different film but you wouldn't know that unless you like read about it because there's it doesn't show any actors there's no dialogue or anything it's just like a an aerial like a helicopter shot of like a car driving away so but yeah that is a unique thing about the limey too the blade runner thing i can't remember if if we talked about it at the time or if i was curious so i looked it up later but the footage of them driving I think they took that from the shiny. You know that I I can't say yeah I remember that but that see that sounds familiar. Yeah, the beginning of the shining when they're driving up to the the, the overlook. Otherwise, I might be confusing something. That possible. Yeah, that's echoes of that ring true, but. Yeah, I, I I really like this film. So I mean, we kind of beat around the bush about it. You you said kind of like the latter half lost you a little bit, and you liked the beginning. So overall, you enjoyed it or lukewarm? I, I liked it. I would say a solid a solid B for sure. Okay, I was definitely into it early. It it started to lose me a little bit, but then even at like letting it sort of ferment a little bit after watching it it's sort of uh i enjoyed it more with a little bit of time afterwards to sort of mold it over because yeah i mean there was a little bit of a it just kind of felt like something was missing you know it, it mm-hmm. checked a lot of boxes for me and i really liked it but it just it kind of felt like whatever quote that was you read just a little sort of I don't know, shallow. Like it was, I don't know. It just kind of felt like it was missing something, but uh, I did enjoy it. I would recommend it. I kind of just wish it was more kind of like more violent or more like the beginning, Mm -hmm. you know, just kicking ass. And I really liked the creative, like we talked about. Yeah. Cinematography stuff. And I could have dealt less, dealt less with some of the, the like second half stuff, but. Yeah, yeah when, it, when he comes to the house at the end, and I, I thought it was weird that the two assassins went there too to try to just kill everybody. Like, all right, well, 
And then it, I wish they would have shown at the end whether or not he killed him after he got the information from him. Other than that, I don't really have anything to complain about. I liked it. Right on. Yeah, I would agree. I think in hindsight, I, I wish it would have. It, it does feel like it's missing one, maybe one thing, a little spice to it. Maybe if it was a little bit more violent or if it would have uh, maybe not dragged so much in the beginning or not the beginning, like the middle to like the two thirds mm-hmm. point. Um, I, I really did like the, I, well, I hated uh, Terry Valentine's, like his weird, like head of security guy in like the, I like that guy. The brown suit. Something about him, I just didn't... I, I liked to not like him also. But, like, the scene yeah. where they go to that, like, house party that he's having up in, like, the the Hollywood Hills or wherever it was, and he goes, and you the way they shoot it, like, it's, it's in the background, like, 100 yards away. So in the foreground, you see... Peter Fonda just like schmoozing, have you know, wine and drinks, and he's talking with somebody. And then you see Wilson in the background approach this big fat, like another one of his security guard lackeys. And they're up on this big, like, I don't know, cliff balcony face. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it looks like it could be 50 feet or 200 feet up in the air. But anyway, you see him kind of like they're talking and they're a hundred yards, like in the background, but it's still in focus. So you can see what's happening. And he, he goes and he just picks up this like 250 pound pound man and throws him off this fucking cliff. And like, at first people are like shocked. They don't know if it's like a gag and like people kind of like turn and like, they're like, did they did that guy just throw him off a fucking hundred foot cliff, and like that's when shit starts getting wild. And then they got to get out of there. And that dude, like, they ram his car, and he's got like that fucking pistol grip, uh, pump yeah. shotgun. That Shot, shotgun. I love that whole that whole scene too. Is really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, maybe if they would have an, another scene like that, or if they would have paced it a little bit better um, towards the end. Uh, because it kind of does devolve into one of, one of those flicks where it's like, okay, like the last quarter of the film, it's like, you know, the last stand kind of thing. Like he goes into his like hiding place in the redwoods and like he's going to hold up and like he's got a security around him. Like he's his impenetrable fortress and sure shit, he comes in and starts just taking people out and works his way up to it's just the final standoff and it does kind of fall a little bit flat because that's outside of his character to not seal the deal and just put a bullet in this guy's fucking head. You know, like it's Mm. like kind of what I think what we alluded to just before this off the air, it's like, you know, maybe it was their attempt at showing like, Oh, he's finally grown. And it's like, it's not about the revenge. It's about getting closure. Um, like that he like he he knew what happened to his daughter and then that final act of like mercy or whatever you want to call it is him having growth as a character like he doesn't need to spill over into like the criminal part of his life that is what robbed him of all those years with his daughter um and if that's the case, I think that's kind of lame because yeah. it's like of of all of the action leading up to that, it's like this would be the most justified you could ever be into just right. killing this guy who's like, yeah, it wasn't a car accident. I actually murdered your daughter. Yeah, uh, that's where I th- she 
Yeah, it's because it's so outside of his character. It's like, yeah, th- that that does feel a little uh, cheap to, to well, just... In that speech you gave early on, or earlier on, where he was talking about... I think he was talking about in prison. He's like, you just have to bide your time. You have to be patient. You know, you can't just lash out and attack somebody uh, whenever you want. You have to bide your time. So when he finally gets to him at the end, it's like, all right, he is... He's been biding his time like it's now, you know, he, he wanted to kill him at that party. It's like, how, do you, how would you not want to kill him a thousand times more now? I mean, right. maybe, if the tr- maybe if the truth was like a rival gang member killed her, you know, because I got her mixed up in something, that's, that's one thing. But it's like, oh, no, I, I, I broke her neck and then we uh, burned the shit out of her to try to cover it up. So, sorry. It would be it would be really hard for him to be like, oh, all right, well, thanks for telling me. I just yeah. killed everybody else in your group, but uh, but yeah, I'm gonna spare you, and that that's how that's somehow cool gonna... if he left him there, hobbled, and just waited for like the high tide to come in or something. Yeah, go go extra cruel on his ass. Yeah, yeah, I think that maybe that would have gone a long way to to bring it home and because it does feel a little disingenuous like that like that act of mercy is somehow like elevating him or something i don't know that's just speculation yeah and if i mean they don't show one way or the other so that's also a little irritating it's like okay well if you don't want to show him killing him or not killing him can you please just address if he did or not you know yeah all right. Well, you got got any other fun facts, or you want to wrap this bad boy? Uh, I think we're pretty close to wrapping it, but uh, I guess one little tidbit we mentioned out of sight earlier. Um, there's a there's a scene in the film where Peter Fonda is uh, watching uh, TV, and it's uh, it's got George Clooney in it I, I can't remember what the show is but uh he was in i think it was uh, like an entertainment tonight or something some something just in the background like one of those entertainment shows and they're like george Clooney is blah 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 yeah so that just kind of it's like a, a character a director trademark because he's worked so much with uh Clooney in the past um let's see oh yeah 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 uh so Steve and I both worked with uh, someone who uh, our former boss was British. And I actually, I, I'm kind of enamored with like British shit, namely uh, Cockney rhyming slang. Are you familiar with that at all? Yeah. Christ. I, I was wondering how much of this, cause you're such like a, you're such like a lingo person. You love stupid little quips and rhymes and yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely your little Asperger thing showing itself. And so there were so many times throughout this movie, I was thinking like, Oh God, I bet Gwenza just loves that. When he's like, uh, I'm going to go have a butcher. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like butcher's hook. I'm going to go take a look like, Oh yeah. Sorry. I didn't make that connection. That is, that makes no sense. It's not 
it's not intuitive at all. It made me think of the, the guy in Ocean's Eleven where he's like, oh, if this happens, we're in Barney. Yeah. Barney Rubble, trouble. Like, that is not an ABC. You couldn't stepping stone your way there. That is, Those are three complete, like, non-sequitur. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sure you loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's where that's where my my tinges of the tism uh, come into play for sure. Um, oh God, I, I rolled my eyes so hard yeah. every time that happened. Like, oh God, is that I, and is that like a common thing or is that just kind of put on? No, I, it's a real thing, but I th- it's it's kind of antiquated nowadays. I think it's. Um, like nowadays it's not used very much. I think it's it's similar the way I interpret it is it's it's the level of slang like for American people, it's like super deep south like uh southernisms that are just kind of like a mm. vestige of a previous time. They're not really they're antiquated, you know. So but yeah. the history of it is actually really interesting. So like Cockney rhyming slang, it was developed and it makes sense that this guy uses it in the modern day when this was filmed in 99 because um, of like his his class, his station in life. People still use Southernisms, right? So, but they're not, it, 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 it's like a rarity type of thing, but it has roots in something um, like functional. So Cockney rhyming slang, it was, and it ties into his character too because he's a lifelong he's a lifer in and out of prison he's a thief those kinds of things it was used in uh the uk in britain um as a way of like talking in code so people wouldn't know Mm. what you're talking about like about like your next job or like we're gonna meet here I'm pro- I'm probably fucking it up a little bit, but it, it's basically a way to disguise what you're talking about, and then it's just out of that, it's like it's like slang. It's just like a a fun way to talk, and like, uh, so so like in the film, and you alluded to it already. It's like this it's this weird rhyming thing, and it's like if you don't know it, you wouldn't know what. So he has to explain it. Like he's like uh, the gal that he's piling around with. She's like Eddie. Uh, he's like, yeah. He's like, my new, my new China, Eduardo Louis Guzman's character, and he's like, she's like China. What the fuck are you talking about? She and he's like, China plate mate. So like, that's his new buddy. Like that's his friend. Yeah. So that's how you get there. So it's like, the first word is like you don't know what the fuck they're talking about. The second word is the rhyme. The second word rhymes with the third word that's hidden that you don't that isn't spoken aloud so when you say china china rhymes you're saying china plate plate rhymes with mate the unspoken word that's what it is so when you say oh yeah that's my new china that's my new mate that's my new friend um same thing when he he goes into the the fucking warehouse and he's like he's like yeah yeah you gotta worry a lot about you gotta worry about tea leaves and he's like tea leaves what the fuck are you talking about he's like it's like tea leaves thieves you gotta worry about thieves. Um, and when I brought this, when I found out we had a boss that was from Britain, I'm I'm pretty sure one of the first fucking things I said I said to him, I was like, "Have you ever oh, seen the limey?" God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I was like, "Hey, have you ever seen the limey?" He's all great film, great. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, he loves it. He loves this fucking movie. Um, and I, and yeah. then so, then I went, 
I was like, okay, tism, tingling. Yeah. And I was like, do you uh, know that guy? Yeah. No. <laughs> I was like, I was like, do you know like the Cockney rhyming slang? And like, and he's like, he's like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, he's like, uh, you know, people ask you about your wife or something like how that's going, and they'd say, say, how is it with the trouble? And he's like, trouble and strife, wife. Like that's what. So like, if you heard like one of these guys are talking shit or whatever, and they're talking about trouble, they're talking about their wife. You know, I just thought it was really interesting, like how they, how they get to there, and like, yeah, like the butcher's hook. Yeah. I'm gonna go take a look, because you. That's I think that's probably the most common one. Like, oh, I'm gonna go have a go have a butcher's around, you know, and look. And I was like, what the fuck is a butcher's, you know? So later in life, I figured out, oh. That's what they're talking about. This Cockney rhyming slang shit. And I, I went down a, a Wikipedia K hole one day, like five years ago, and like figured out like speaking the history of, of it. Speaking of K hole, did you, did you happen <laughs> to see there was a, there was a picture that this guy posted on like Twitter or something? I don't know. And he was down at a resort in Mexico, and he came back to the room, and housekeeping, it was a guy, had found his bag of ketamine but he thought it was cocaine. And so he snorted a line of it. Oh, fuck. and it's, it's definitely a visual thing, but he took a picture of this guy who's like laying on his bed alive, but his eyes are just like blasted open. And he's like, this guy's deep in a K hole right now. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, but the look on this guy's face is hilarious. Dude. Wasn't sure. Wasn't sure if you had seen that. No. Somewhere in Mexico, if if anybody listening wants to try to use Google to figure out or to, to try to find that picture, because yeah, it was crazy. Like, well, just got back to my room and this guy thought it was cocaine and he's just he like he's turned himself into a puppet and he's just laying on the bed. Like Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, I guess like the corollary to that would be like, you know, you think of uh pulp fiction when Uma Thurman finds the baggie in uh John Travolta's coat and she yeah. thinks it's coke and it's heroin she fucking ods so mm-hmm. yeah never good to assume with the powdery stuff um yeah ketamine actually uh someone who isn't me uh did that one time and they described it like uh you're standing like maybe five feet behind you and then slightly off to the right and you're watching yourself in like third person interact throughout the world um strange which is because it's like a it's like a horse tranquilizer right they i know they give it to animals uh for something um and it it has effects um but yeah that's all i know about ketamine other than the the parlance of using k-hole um yeah, I think that's gonna wrap this up for uh, for the limey. I love this film. I like it a lot. I, I'm able. I think when I saw it at such a young age, when I was developing, it kind of like hit me. It was like out of nowhere. Wasn't expecting uh, what it was, and I hadn't seen anything like that up to that point. And it is pretty. It is pretty unique film in in certain or in some respects, and I highly recommend it. Uh, it sounds like you got something out of it. At least it was. And entertaining yeah, it's watch. Fun. And it's not a it's slug. Fun. It's like you said, it's pretty brisk too. So Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it in the category of 
if I found out somebody hadn't watched it, like, oh, you've got to watch it. I would almost equate it to like a movie like The Equalizer or something where it's like, don't go into it expecting gourmet meal. It's, you know, it's like junk food. It's like, it's like a bag of chips. You'll enjoy it. Absolutely. But yeah, enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. Your, your, uh, analogy of, of chilies is pretty on like, I, I'm not a big fan of chilies, but for sure when they bring over a sizzling thing of fucking chilies fajitas, <laughs> I'm I'm a happy boy, that's for sure. So Yeah. The chips and salsa are underrated, I will say. You know what I think is underrated, and I haven't seen them. I, I feel like they've just been going away slowly more and more, is Chevy's. Are you a fan of Chevy's? No. There it's uh, absolute dog shit. Really? Uh, I yeah, I'm happy they're going away for everyone's sake there's a yes i have noticed the same thing they're dwindling yeah thankfully one thing i noticed out people people are waking up (laughs) how dare you for those who who uh have never had the displeasure chevy's is like shitty tex-mex delicious it's delicious get out of here funny story uh went to a baseball game with a few of our old coworkers and on the way back there's a Chevy's that's right off the freeway so it's pretty convenient and this waiter was like the dumbest fucking guy I've ever talked to in my life <laughs> Every, everybody's ordering and it's going pretty normal and I was like I think I'll get the the nachos and he's like well you know that's just chips right I was like well there's stuff on it right He's like, well, yeah, but I mean, it's just chips. I'm like, yeah, I, I know. Nachos. He's like, okay. And then we walked away, and in my head, I'm like, oh, God, what kind of nightmare is this guy going to bring back over here? What do you mean by that? But, yeah, so he brought back normal nachos, ate, like, half of it, felt like shit, fell asleep on the drive home. It was an awful evening. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I fell asleep at the wheel. Um no, I wish. That was like <laughs> one of the worst meals I've ever had. You know, that's just chips, right? Jesus yeah. Christ. Yep. Uh, you even have a handy picture of it in the menu. <laughs> Boy, I wish I had some to knock your ass out with. Uh, knock yeah. your ass out. All right. Yep. It's, it's funny out here in Northeast Indiana, they have a knockoff Chevy's, and it's spelled with two V's. C H E V V Y S. Weird. <laughs> it's like the same exact logo and font, just with two V's, and it's a Mexican restaurant. So, uh, I I haven't been bold enough to uh, check that out yet. But all right, well that that's gonna wrap this up. Um, oh shit, I completely forgot. We actually got our first email. Uh, to the wax at waxingtheporpoise.com. If anybody has any comments or uh, wants to talk about anything uh, that we're doing, um, send us an email at wax at waxingtheporpoise.com. Um, is it hate mail? No. Surprisingly damn, enough. Is it from my mom? No. No, it's not. I wish. Oh, damn it. Okay. <laughs> uh, that would be, that'd be a fun read. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have no frame of reference. I don't know anything about your mom, but it'd be fun nonetheless. Uh, 
just knowing about her, just like <laughs> giving us notes. This is a really great thing you guys have going on. Um, yeah. So, I wish you wouldn't curse so much. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, how much is this making her ticker speed up? Um, we actually, so there is a, a now, I don't know if defunct is the appropriate way to say it, but Sac- uh, sacrilege. Yeah. Number four. Um, <laughs> There, there's a podcast that is, uh, it's no longer active, um, but uh, it's called uh, the Channel 83 podcast, which is mainly horror. Um, it's really in-depth, got a lot of obscure uh, Asian horror. Is This is the guy's forte. His name's Chris. Um, he no longer does the podcast. Uh, he's branching into some other things. But I came across this podcast a couple years ago and really dug it. It's a one-man show. And I, there's not very many pod- – I listen to a lot of pod, and I think you do too. There's not very many that can nail a one-man podcast and have it be interesting and, and to stay up on it with. But um, – this guy did. He had a one-man show, and it's called Channel Eighty Three. I'm pretty sure it's still active on all the, you know, the the main podcatcher. So you can definitely go check it out. Um, I was a fan of the show, and I I actually wrote him an email uh, about his show and commented on it, and he read it. He read it on one of his episodes, and um, so he returned the favor. And this is our first email. So this is from Chris at Channel Eighty Three. So hey guys, uh, Jim sent me my first email when I started my pet podcast so it's only seems fitting that i send you guys your hopefully first email as well enjoying the show so far on the subject of black rain there's actually a japanese film that is also called black rain that is also from 1989 it is about the aftermath of the hiroshima bombing and is adapted from the 1966 book black rain i haven't gotten around to watching it but it has been sitting on my plex ever since jim introduced me to the michael douglas black rain Also related, for whatever reason, there was a spate of these East meets West films in the 1980s to the 1990s, and I'm wondering if you've seen any of the other ones like American Yakuza with Viggo Mortensen or Kinjite with Charles Bronson. If not, definitely check out at least Kinjite. It's probably the most unhinged Bronson slash J. Lee Thompson collab. The episode where Steve talked about applying, applying his trade was interesting, and I would definitely like to hear more. I like the use of the term degenerate gambler to distinguish between advantage players and gambling addicts. Big Tony Soprano vibes. Keep up the good work, Chris, from Channel 83 and Podgasari, which I'm assuming is one of his new projects that he's working on. So uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, good to hear from you. and appreciate the notes and the love for the show. Um, I, to answer the question, I have actually, I'm not familiar with American Yakuza, uh, with Viggo Mortensen, but I, I definitely like him as an actor a lot. So I'll be checking that out. But, uh, speaking of Kinjite with what both those movies, both those movies are actually really good. You've seen both of those. No, I haven't. (laughs) Fucking asshole. I should have known. I should have known. Um, but yeah, Kinjite with Charles Bronson. I mean, you had me at most unhinged Bronson, so I will definitely be checking yeah, that out. Yeah, that sounds that sounds good. I yeah, like that. F- fuck yeah. Uh, have you ever seen any of the Death Wish movies with Charles Bronson? No, dude, they are right up your fucking alley. They're 
awesome. They're like dog shit. I mean, I think the first three are the highest quality. I think there's like five or six death wishes. They're fucking awesome. There's one where he's mopping like vigilante style, mopping up the streets of New York. And he shoots a dude with a bazooka, no less than like six feet in front of him. And he just goes, it's that kind of movie. So I think you would like it. Nice. Anyway. um, Yeah. Thanks again, Chris, uh, for the input. And uh, the end of that too, talking about the, uh, the card counting episode, uh, episode nine, if you haven't checked it out, check it out. Um, we've actually gotten some, some really good feedback on that episode. So I think we are, we're definitely going to push forward and do a part two because I mean, we just ran short on time and there was a lot of stuff that, uh, I still had questions about too. And others have also offered a couple questions that we can incorporate into the mix. And I, I definitely think there's plenty of meat left on that bone, uh, that we can get at if, if you're game. Yeah. Yeah. And if anybody has any questions, feel free to send them in. Yeah. Not sure yes. if you can hear my cat. She made her first appearance this episode. Yeah, it was pretty late. I was going to say, what's going on? She's, she's been napping. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, so we're, we're definitely going to do another uh, episode. I don't know if it'll be in, probably in the neck, within the next two or three episodes we, we release will be uh, a part two of Advantage Play. Um, so we'll get into that. Shoot us an email, or you can also reach us at our socials, Instagram, Waxing the Porpoise, or uh, Twitter, at Waxing the Porp. Um, any final thoughts? Anything else you got going on you want to talk about before we close this thing up? No, I don't think so. Alrighty. Well, that was a fun discussion. Uh, I look forward to the next episode uh, i don't know what we're going to talk about next um i had grand plans to like i feel like we need to change it up a little bit and get into like some kind of like like a funky true crime or something unexplained did you have anything off that list that we have uh that patchwork list that we have or if there's anything recent that you've come across that that might be intriguing uh i saw something I saw some article about how people don't think Antarctica is real and they think it's like some, I I saw a lot of different things that it's speculated as being used for. And I, I bookmarked, I bookmarked it. Haven't read it. It just seemed like something that might be up your alley. I, and we haven't talked about this yet, but I'm sure you're familiar with some of the, the tin hat, tin foil hattery surrounded Antarctica. Tin foiled hattery. Um, Yep. <clears throat> yes, I that I think that specifically is a new one on me. Uh, I have, I think I've heard inklings of that um, on along the lines of like flat Earth shit, which I uh, don't really want to get into. But <laughs> I mean, <laughs> are you scared of the truth? Yeah, um, <laughs> Antarctica is a fucking bag a whole other bag of cats and there's a bunch of different shit tied to it i am really interested in although it's it's kind of been done a lot is like the inner earth you've heard that kind of stuff yeah like hollow earth stuff yeah inner earth like the entrance to hollow earth at the north and south poles antarctica's got a lot of weird shit going on and there's there's a lot of 
far reaching like the spectrum on that is huge but I've, i haven't heard anything specifically about its lack of existence except when you start talking about like <laughs> yeah. the firmament and like and then i start like alarm bells and it's flat earth and it's like oh get me out of here but i am intrigued by like the inner earth i don't i think we talked about before we started this podcast there's a really interesting case of uh it was operation high jump which is uh pretty famous now it's almost mainstream it's uh admiral bird they led an expedition there in like the 40s maybe late 30s um some high strangeness there for sure but it actually ties been ties closely into um supposedly like this is our neck of the woods uh mount shasta have you ever heard about lemurians they're supposedly I've heard that people think it's like an energy portal or some some bullshit but yeah supposedly there's like other like kind of you start getting into like ley line kind of stuff and like magic and like some people think magic like, you know, yeah <laughs> some people yeah some people think like you know the lemurians and mount shasta like that's another opening to the inner earth so yeah i don't know if we'll get we'll get that far or go into that but i guess we'll just leave this podcast we'll we'll just this episode we'll leave open-ended and we'll just we'll figure it out and the next episode will be a surprise um so we'll just figure that we'll out. we'll just do it live there. we'll do it live I think I fucking scrapped all those bumps. Chase, what the fuck were you thinking about here? All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Um, Join us next week. We'll have a new episode on something super dope. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yep. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. And we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Mr. Son of a Bitch. Let's play some cards.